All right, you ready? Yes, sir. For this? Do you want to introduce this one? No, you're good. I'm good? Okay, no, I'm good. Yes. I think you would say, I think the sentence, and this is the quote, you would say, I'm good, meaning you. I don't think you would tell me that I'm good if I'm asking you to do something. It's like, no, I'm good, thanks, is what you should have said. (laughs) I should have. I didn't. I apologize. So do you want to do this one? No. I'm good. At doing this? (laughs) That's good stuff. All right. You good? No, I'm good. (laughs) I think we're both all right. Hey, everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And I am Bob Canning. Did you hear that? My chair was squeaking. (laughs) That was my chair. Could you hear that? I was, ter- I, I, was, I was kind of pivoting. That was, that was, and it was very kind of, well timed. That's odd that it picked up. It's not a fart, but I guess <laughs> one could, I have no proof. I have no proof that it wasn't, like, because I didn't take a picture of myself. No? But yeah, it's, it's a squeaky chair. <laughs> welcome to uh, welcome to this well-oiled but poorly maintenance <laughs> chair of a show. Um, how are you doing? How are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm feeling all right. I'm, I'm, I'm old and creaky like your chair, I, I know, think. I know, which ties in a lot, I think, to our topic this week. Speaking of old yeah. and creaky. Um, but yeah, no, you're, you're feeling that a little bit. You're feeling, I think we've acknowledged our age on the show, right? We're in our 40s, our early 40s. Yeah, yeah we've talked about that. Yeah, I mean, we haven't been forever, but we have been for a couple of years now, since 2015 for myself. Mm-hmm. Was that a big deal when you hit 40? Was that, that a big birthday, a horrible birthday, horrible um, event? It was, it, was, it was fine. Yeah? It wasn't a big deal. I didn't make a big deal out of it. There wasn't a big party or a big celebration. Well, you, that you have a choice. Um, but the, internally, the feeling, knowing 40 was approaching, it, the specter of 40, no, was that not a big deal? It, it wasn't a big deal. No, it wasn't. It was 41? It really didn't. 41 was crushing. 41 destroyed me. Yeah. Why is that? Because 40 was huge for me. Why, why is 41 worse than 40? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you. There were a lot of other things going on in my life that Oh, so maybe great. it wasn't age-based. Maybe it, it was something it, it, else. But here's the thing. It wasn't age-based, but it was also, it was age-based. So I don't know, it was two contradicting seems, things. Yes. Well, 40 seems like, for me, 40 was um, the the... The beginning, you know, it's like, oh, this is the beginning of the next stage of my life. Was and 30 40, like that? Was that what 30 felt yeah, like? I, I, yeah, I think 30 felt like that, too. Huh. And so when I hit 41, it was like this next stage of my life has actually started, and it's no different than the previous stage of my life. And I, I got a little overwhelmed with things. and. Yeah. uh and I think my age had something to do with it. Yes, there were these outside factors that that contributed, but uh, yeah, that was a rough, rough year for me. And and it and it really hit at my forty first birthday. I literally had a b- breakdown on the phone, and I'm being pretty oh. open here. I had a breakdown on the phone with uh, my mother and my aunt, who called at the same time because they don't like spending a lot on phone bills um, <laughs> to wish me happy birthday. And I was like, oh, great, thank you so much. And they're like, how are, how are you doing? How's your birthday today so far? And I paused, and I, was, I started crying and was like, this sucks. Oh. Everything is wrong. And, and like, I just went off for like a half an hour. Yeah. Um, and it was a lot of other things. Like, it was a buildup through, you know. But, yeah, so 41, not so great. 42, loved it. 43, doing good. So that's where you're at now. You're 43. I'm at I'm at 43. Yeah, we're doing good. We got we got back on track. No, it's odd. I mean, I I hate aging, and I no longer like birthdays. I don't like the progression of this. Mm. But and and first of all, I'm I'm sorry. That that sounds horrible. That that your um your aunt and your mom call at the same time for financial reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's rough, man. But, it's rough. But it's the, the sentence that you said. The thing that that that, that, that hits me odd. And, and it, but your honesty, first of all, thank you. I'm not brushing over that. But but this idea that when you hit 41, it's no different from 40. What was? How did you word that? Do I have to go back and listen to the episode now? You, the, the way you said it. 
Yeah, I, I, um, basically, yeah, I was saying, like, this is the next stage of my life. But after a year of being 40 and becoming 41, I realized that it was really no different than the previous stage of my life. Well, what's the last year that felt different? Like, what you know, looking at aging, because, I mean, I know, like, I was fine aging until I hit 30. 30 was the first year where I hit an age that I didn't want to be. I was like, no, I'm leaving my yeah. 20s. But, so that was kind of a measurement, but most of the time, I feel like 21 is, you know, you drink, you get your ability to legally drink, and, and, you know, you're well out of your teens now, so that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, had you not felt that before? Um, no, I really hadn't. Like, like, I didn't feel old until I hit 38. And that's, and the reason for that is because that's the first age I remember my mother being. Okay. Um. So, so when I was old enough to realize how old my mom was, she was 38. Huh. And so for me, that was a, a, a landmark age. So when I hit 38, that was like, oh, shit, I'm as old as my mom was when I was That'll a kid. That'll do it, right? That'll very and much so do that, it. And so that you. did it. Huh. Painful. Yeah. Why are we talking aging? I don't know. It's, I hate it. Well, I think way. we're talking age because uh, we've decided uh, for this episode mm-hmm. to look back at uh, – for today's episode for our experience and our enjoyment and our history with some films from the man Kevin Smith. Yes, filmmaker um, Kevin Smith. Right. Kevin Smith. And I think we're talking age because Kevin Smith had some recent activity that uh, I think we should talk about. <laughs> or lack of activity, if that's how that works. Yeah, he just suffered a pretty major heart attack. We're yeah. recording this a week before it goes up, so hopefully everything's okay with that. He but, seems um, to be doing well. Mm-hmm. Based based on his uh, social media posts that I've been yeah he's watching. got a big social media presence which I'll be honest I don't normally follow I don't normally follow his Twitter I don't follow his Facebook but this I did I sent him even a little yeah, message me too. just me whatever because because yeah I and here's the thing Kevin Smith I think he's known for that now he's kind of known as you know Kevin Smith the podcaster Kevin yeah. Smith the, the the TV personality internet the personality. I, I think so, right? Up on a stage telling his stories. I, yeah. And that's great. That's what he does. I haven't really followed Kevin Smith in a while, but I have a pretty entwined, corkscrewed, tight uh, sort of developmental relationship with Kevin Smith through the 90s, you know, when Kevin Smith was not Kevin Smith the podcaster, not Kevin Smith the stand-up comedian, not Kevin Smith whatever he is now, but Kevin Smith the independent film auteur, you know? Yeah. Which kind of seems quaint now. It kind of seems like he makes films. <laughs> no, he makes bad films, right? But no. In 1994, <laughs> when I first heard of him, and through the 90s, actually, all of his films in the 90s, which is what we're going to talk about today, you know, he was kind of like this independent film's voice of a generation. You know, he was kind of like this breakthrough person who got dialogue, got society. And I think, and maybe he doesn't get credit for this, and I think he should, the the world we currently live in, this that we can do a podcast like this, a world that wants to hear about pop culture, a world that can cosplay with very little fear of being made fun of, a world that can exchange all of these comic book and, and cartoon references as actual conversation, not just as one-upmanship. That has a, that owes a lot of itself I think, to Kevin Smith. I think the social environment of Kevin Smith. And it's odd to me because I haven't enjoyed a movie of his probably since 1999. I have not followed his most recent films, but I don't mean that as a knock. And I guess there's no way for that not to sound like one because I'm putting down 20 years or 18 years of his work. But for what we're going to talk about today, we're doing something called oeuvre compensating. I think I'm mispronouncing the word oeuvre. We're going to look at his four films from the 1990s that he released because... For me, anyways, those are some of the most impactful, important, and meaningful films socially, creatively, and so many other levels for me in that period. And it's encapsulated because I stopped following him or stopped being enthralled by him shortly shortly at the turn of the century. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have a similar relationship with him or what is your relationship with Kevin Smith and his movies? Um, my relationship with Kevin Smith is... My relationship with Tim Blevins. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, like, I, I've enjoyed the, the Kevin Smith movies that we're going to talk about. Um, and I discovered Clerks on my own. So Clerks has a special place f- just with me. Mm-hmm. But uh, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, and Dogma, right? Those, those yeah, the, those are the four films do- we'll be talking yeah. about if you count Clerks. I couldn't remember if, uh, if Dogma was the last one. Um, 
those are intertwined with you and knowing you and living with you um, and watching those movies with you. Um, that's 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 how I remember these films. Um, those last three clerks again, I discovered on my own and it holds a special place for that mm-hmm. and what I discovered and, and what it made me think about and what could be done and what we could do. Um, but then the other three for sure um, are tied to us. Oh, I, I, I'm looking forward to, to getting into that a little bit because I, I think I agree and I think we'll share some notes on that. But to start with, yeah, to start with when he first hit the scene, Clerks, uh, Kevin Smith's debut film, black and white movie about a couple of guys at a convenience store working a single day there. Um, it opened on a couple conflicting dates on this. I know it opened in the fall of 94. I think October 19th was the date that I found. I also saw a November date. I saw an August date. But I remember first hearing of Clerks, first being aware of Clerks with the trailer for it that ran right in front of uh, Pulp Fiction. We had we did an episode a little while back where we talked about going to see Pulp Fiction, and we, we discussed in that episode mm-hmm. a lot of what we got out of that movie. And one of the things I got out of that movie was this dingy black and white trailer for this movie about people in a convenience store, a filthy kind of looking, just grainy film that I thought in seeing this trailer was a documentary. I thought this is security camera footage (laughs) of people at a job. Do you remember the trailer for clerks? Is that how you first saw it? Or what was your introduction to it? Um, I, I was at that same viewing. Um, so I'm sure I saw it, but I don't remember that. I don't remember uh, seeing it. Um, so how'd you find it? How'd you first come across it? I found it, um, I had known about it. You know, we went to an art school and, and uh, filmmakers were there. And I think, I don't know, did you see it in the theater? I, I did not. No, that's the one I didn't see. I didn't see it till the following summer. I saw this trailer, it was in my head, and then I then it kind of drifted away. I didn't know anything. I remember seeing the soundtrack and all, but I just didn't know it through our sophomore year. I, I knew of it. I knew it was sort of controversial. Um, I knew it was low budget. Um, I knew was it, it was controversial? To be funny. Was it in the? My memory of it is that it was vulgar. Like mm-hmm. that was the controversial aspect that of it. It is a vulgar uh, movie. His movies are vulgar, were even by today's standards. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so when I uh, that summer, uh, that was I believe the summer after our junior year, summer of ninety five. Ju- yeah. Okay. Um, right before junior I was renting season. movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was renting movies, staying up late, and that was one of the movies I rented and watched it alone uh, at like 11 o'clock at night <laughs> into the early hours. Um, and I was just, yeah, and I had picked it up. I had picked it up because I had heard it was kind of a cool movie, an interesting movie. And uh, yeah, that's how I discovered it that summer. And you watched it kind of, okay, so it was like a little VHS tape, kind of your own private yeah. screening i yeah. yeah i i'm surprised i didn't follow it sooner because again that trailer did hit me enough but then i just blanked out on it for the rest of the year i didn't think of it i didn't know of it mm. i think i may have heard people talk about it here and there it wasn't like you said until the summer because you know like every summer break you would go or at least i would i would go back home i grew up in a small town in connecticut with my little right. you know job i had in high school which was working at this gas station convenience store thing and so i would go back to that i'd go back and see my friends i remember just when i got back you know shortly after getting back and you know living back with my folks a friend of mine who lives in the town said yeah i've got this movie to show you. i rented this movie clerks it's hilarious this character's hilarious everything about it is hilarious we got to watch it and whenever somebody presents me with something that way whenever somebody tries to sell me with something with you've got to watch this it's funny it's this and it's that my ego kind of tenses up and i'm ready to kind of just disparage it if that's the right use of use of the word which right. it's not just kind of be like i don't want to see that but i sat down you know i sat there i watched it he showed it to me and he you know he quoted some lines he would point out the stuff like you're gonna love this you're gonna love that and that stuff kind of that gets in my way a little bit but still i saw in this movie something that was just so familiar. You know, I saw in this movie something that was so real. You're right. And and, and and what I saw was these two guys at a convenience store working at the counter like it was a stage, you know? 
Yep. These two guys who just talked the whole day through, you know, surrounded by the products of the store with their random conversations and, you know, like, uh, you know, snack cakes and, and, and deli meats, whatever it is they're eating from the store and, you know, all the rudimentary tasks of working there, like stocking cigarettes and, 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 and just the, this, the whole aspect of customer service, which honestly as a job is pretty much all I've ever done. And in 1994, it was kind of in its infancy because I'd worked at this convenience store gas station for just a couple of years. But seeing it presented in this movie, it was just this idea that what you're doing there, it's like a stage. You know, you, you got these dull surroundings of a small town gas station and you're always above them because you're having your dialogues. You know, you're having your pseudo philosophical conversations about the Death Star, about music, about comic books. You know, watching that in this movie, how they had these conversations, how they used pop culture to, to, to fuel these conversations. I mean, I did that. You know, to mm-hmm. a degree, and I'm sure I cop from this, but I just I had never seen it before. I'm sure plenty of people do that, by the way, but I had never seen that really in a movie, and it just it just you know hit me so well that yeah, this is how you pass time, this is how you imbue a, a dull, pointless existence with some intellect. This is what you do, and that's the core of this movie. I thought. I mean, did you relate to it? Did it speak to you in that sense? Oh, completely. Um, everything you're saying is is sort of how I felt. I mean, it was the same situation where, you know, I worked at uh, a Subway restaurant and, you know, had to service the customers and um, had to sit around all day. Uh, in college, I was sitting at the front desk of the student union, and so you're constantly just talking to your coworker and then the people coming in. Now, in college, and, did that feel like a job so, working the student union? Was that sort of... No, it never, that never felt like no, a job, okay. job, no. But but at the same time, it, it it was, like you're saying, this stage. This Everyone's got to pass you. Everyone's got to come to you to get whatever they need. And so you have your opportunity to interact with them, interact with your, your coworkers. Um, yeah, and the thing that, that struck me about about it that I liked so much as I was watching it and discovering it is that it's it, yeah like it's it's normal or at least you know semi normal people who I could very well run into just down the street from where I was watching the movie if I wanted to go out and 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 pick up some Pepsi or something right it was like a small there's town, there's a small townness to it a, I feel like yeah. something quaint something yeah. dead end something helpless in a way. And and I and I don't know, I might be wrong, but I didn't see prior to this I didn't seek out or see a lot of movies that were really not about anything. That were just these moments in a day. <clears throat> there was a little bit of a plot. There's a little bit of a oh, who's she going to marry kind of thing that was thrown in there just so you had like a a through line, I guess. But really it was just here's a little thing that happens here's another little thing that happens it's all sort of tied together um but it wasn't like you know you had to find the grail or anything like that it was just (laughs) hanging out it was literally just scenes of people sitting there painting nails literally watching paint dry (laughs) but so entertaining and interesting because of the dialogue and what they were talking about and how it related to them. And they're heroic. You're right. I mean, this is, I don't know if this is the first movie I saw where nothing happened. Um, but, and I don't even know, like, I don't know if I, if I was a, thought of it that way then. You know, people always say that about Seinfeld. It's a show yeah, about nothing. It's like, I don't think I ever thought about that. Seinfeld would have been the thing before this where I'm like, well, that's like a conversation I would have almost. But this, yeah, no, hmm. I, I think this was the first time I felt... I was being reflect, reflected in something where I could really latch on to these characters. Like, I loved Richard Lewis on TV, you know, and I loved the sitcoms he was in. And, 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 and by this point, I probably was loving Friends. And so maybe Friends is more like this, where it's like, I, as a kid, I love these characters who are always older than me. And so I kind of project, like, this is what it's like to be this to be an adult. I like watching Richard Lewis's character and Jamie Lee Curtis's character and their sitcom interact. And I hope to do that one day. But this movie... I wasn't, I mean, I'm sure I was projecting somehow, but I just, there was a connect there. There was something about that. And part of what was endearing. It wasn't what you wanted to be. It was kind of what you Well, I think it was what I wanted to be. That's the thing. That's maybe where the disconnect is. Only because in watching this, the world they inhabit is sad. 
Dante and, and Randall, the main characters, this is kind of a sad existence. They're mm-hmm. at the dead end. They don't want to change. But the way the movie's presented, the way they are in that movie, is they they're, they elevate themselves above everyone else by the sheer nature that they're behind the counter. They get the better jump on people who are coming in to support the business. They have to jump on these people who don't know how the world works. They get to lash out at people as the heroes. And that, sadly, spoke to me. That was necessary. That was helping me. Hmm. I mean, it was like going to college. I was going out of the small town. I went to big city Boston. And then that summer I'd come back and suddenly I was the big city guy. Like I've got this knowledge that my friends don't have. My friends have plenty of knowledge and many of them have gone on to do great things or whatever. But I had this need to somehow be above my surroundings, to be commenting on it, to be faster and quicker than it. And this movie fed that, I think. These characters fed that. And I don't think I saw the how it's about nothing angle. And I don't think I saw the sadder aspects of these characters. Cause like, have you watched clerks recently? When was the last time you watched it? Um, I don't think I've maybe six years ago, six, oh. seven years ago, maybe. Okay. I've gone back to it sooner than that. I have to say, have you not had the interest in it? Do you not want to see it again? Um, no, I think it's just a, a matter of, 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 uh, access to it. I don't mm-hmm. own it. So I couldn't just pop it in. Um, and maybe it was when I first got Netflix uh, streaming, it was available. And I probably was like, oh, I haven't seen this in a while. Let me watch this. Um, and then it just hasn't popped up again. It is still pretty great. I've watched it within the last couple of years. And it it is still a great movie. And I I don't know. If, I don't think I necessarily relate to it. But I think there's nostalgia to it. I think there's this angle of I remember being that. But watching it most recently, I think what I realized was outside of what was in the movie, and I think what Kevin Smith's scripts were speaking to in me, and it sounds like to you, Clerks was also an important, like, independent film, you know, like actual people making a film because it looked like it was sort of scraped together, you know, like they kind of made it on the weekends. It had only sets they had access to I work in a convenience store we'll film in the convenience store you know this is probably his house that they're filming in you know they're casting friends in the roles non-actors it's poorly lit Uh, it's got bad what one thing yeah one thing that stood out for me too was that we were accepting of that Mm -hmm. like you're saying it's poorly lit it's 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 uh, all one set and then when uh, Randall stops watching Start when he's watching uh, Star Wars, and then he s- turns it off to go talk about it. The the sound effects, you know, obviously you can't get you can't get Star Wars. They are the, so lame. They are so not Star yeah. Wars. But we're accepting of that. Well, we were like, you know what? We know what's going on. We know it's a low budget movie, and that didn't bother me. That never mm-hmm. bothered me when I watched it. You know, it's like I was aware. Maybe it. it I was aware of it the first time, but then it just was like, you know what? I get what this is. And I was cool with that. Well, because I think, and you said it before, you know, it's your first film seeing, you know, first film you saw about nothing. This is kind of like the first, and it wasn't. I'd seen some Hal Hartley movies. I'd seen some Richard Linklater movies. But this was the first, like, independent movie that I really latched yeah. onto because it was in black and white, because it was scratchy looking without all the sound. That, that one, spoke to me like, oh, that's film. But two... And watching that, I was like, I could do this was the simplifying yes. feeling of that. Because I wanted to do that, you know? Yeah. And you didn't have yeah. to be Hal Hartley. You didn't have to be Allison Anders. You, you, know, you, you, you didn't have to have technical know-how. And, you know, it, the, the movie's not easy to replicate. You know, I'm sure it's not easy to just up and go and do this now, maybe digitally. But he did this on film. And he had this, you know, right. the story of the making of this is fascinating, how they filmed it at night. And that's why the shutters are, are, are shut and how they put it together. But, you know, so obviously it was work, but it looked like anyone could do it. And I think why that worked for me is it looked like anyone with an ear for dialogue could do it. Because his script is still at the heart of this to me. It's the script of this movie and Dante and Randall's performances. And that's all I needed because I wanted to be a writer. And here was a script that I wish I had written. A script that my ego always got inflated when friends said it sounded like something you would write. Which I'm sure it doesn't, but I get it. I don't think I could have written yeah. that at that point. But that's, you know, I, that was so... 
that is that's really influential, not just in the moment of, okay, I can go back to college and try this, even though I didn't follow through, but just in general to where we are now doing like this podcast and stuff. You can do this. Anyone can kind of do it. And that, I don't think about that enough, but that was groundbreaking to me that this movie looked, sounded, and had that story behind it. So he represented that because he's probably, what, five years older than us, I think. He was born in, I think, seventy. 71, maybe? Yeah, that would be yeah. four, four years older than me. Five, three, three, four, yeah, five. So we're we're right the same. Those okay, numbers. Those are all numbers, and those are all numbers we can relate to. We're in that bracket. So the, I don't know. This movie validated both this creative pursuit, which I think I probably didn't need at that time because I thought I'm doing it, but it's good to have. It validated the creative pursuit, and it validated my public existence. And that, that was important. I think seeing this, the moment I saw this on VHS at my friends, I went out and I rented it again. I watched it again. And when I got back to college, this movie was on my mind and Kevin Smith was on my mind. Like I, did you know the name? Like, did you think it's a Kevin Smith movie? Did you have interest in finding that out? Or was it just this little film that you saw? Um, I think for me, it was just Mm -hmm. this little film. Yeah. I don't think I had caught on to the Kevin Smith aspect of it. I did, I was aware that he was Silent Bob mm-hmm. in the movie, that he was the director, and, and, and I knew that. But I still didn't think of it as a, a Kevin Smith feature, and I wasn't looking for the next Kevin Smith uh, uh, movie to come out. It wasn't God, something I, I was thinking about. Like, he might have been the first filmmaker after Spielberg and the people in the 80s that I wanted to follow, that I wanted to know about. And he only had Clerks at that point, but I was so into this that that summer, the summer I saw Clerks on VHS, I remember going to see, um, going to see, do you know the movie Species? That kind of alien ripoff movie, Species? Did you see that? Oh, yeah. You see that movie? Yeah. Um, I've seen It's bad. I think it's it. bad. But yeah. I saw it in the theater, and, and back in the day, before the movie started, they would show you little slides <laughs> on the screen. You know, like still saying, you know, it's Tom Hanks's birthday or this movie's in production. You know, like little just trivia stuff to kind of build up to when the movie starts. And I remember one of those stills, one of those slides was a picture of uh, Kevin Smith in a silent Bob garb in color behind a camera and some people in front of him. And the caption was kind of like filmmaker Kevin Smith working on, you know, second upcoming film Mall Rats or something. This was in the summer and it was a little shot of him working on his next film. And I committed that to memory. I was like, he's making another movie that I have to see. I wonder (laughs) if it's going to be enough. Now it's looking at the mall, the way he worked at convenience stores. So when we came back in 1995 to our junior year, were we roommates? We weren't roommates that year, were we? I don't think we were. Junior year, no. No, I had uh, a single. You did? Okay. Six. So we came back, and I feel like we came back kind of, I, at least for me, I was a little more mature. I felt like I fit in. I knew how this, the school worked. I was figuring out who I was. And one thing that I wanted to, to, to be at that point is it started was like the, a film, a screenwriter. I think I had switched my degree by then to creative writing with a focus on screenwriting. And Kevin Smith was sort of this ideal badge for that. Like he can do it. I can do it. So I remember coming back. And uh, so we get back in September, October, October of that year, October 20th, if I'm correct, which is actually it was my 20th birthday. His second movie hit the screens, the, the, the movie that I had seen, the, the, the slide for in front of the species, Mallrats came out that year yeah. and it came and um did you get to watch it on your birthday we didn't watch it on our birthday do you remember we saw it together we went to see it together yeah i think we saw it i do remember we that. saw it do you remember where we saw it um i don't remember was, where we, we saw, saw it in a mall, mall movie theater the copley mall they used to have a movie theater in there we had to walk past all these small yep. shops to see it okay it was probably the second week it was out it was probably late afternoon, probably it might have been a weekday, to be honest, that I don't know, but it was a very sparsely populated theater. There weren't a lot of people in there. Yeah. We went in and we saw it and from the very start, the movie starts with a little monologue, but then it goes into this a squirt gun song social with all these comic book covers representing the actors for the opening credits. And from that very opening credit sequence, I fucking loved this movie i i did the whole time in the theater i was just taking it all in like do you what was your sense of it? do you remember seeing it do you remember going with me to see it when we went together i do i do remember going to see it with you i know i saw it with you the first time um i remember enjoying it i i don't know that i fucking Mm -hmm. loved it 
but I liked it a lot. Oh my god, I just it's it, and I think I liked it more. I ended up liking it more and more uh, with our subsequent viewings over the over the years. Yeah, because this movie was not cared for when it came out. This movie was trashed. It didn't yeah. gross. I think it grossed less than Clerks grossed. Um, not that you necessarily have to measure it that way, but I remember being surprised that people didn't like this film. I yeah, and it, you know, and I get it in a way. I mean, like it's a less personal film than Clerks. You know, it, it's it's right. stagier. It's a little broader. And you know, with what we were just saying about Clerks, in a way, this movie is was a little bit out of his grasp. I think as a director at that point. You know, I, I feel like this movie needed a little more um, guidance to be the film that I think he wanted it to be. But I still loved it, you know. I I, I think what I yeah. this movie cemented his knowledge of comic books. This movie cemented his love for comic books. This movie gave us Jason Lee as a character, Brody, who is this comic fan. And I will tell you that um, if Clerks... If Clerks kind of reflected a bit of who I was in terms of... Uh, you know, like working at a store and talking like this. This movie, Mallrats, this gave me the template of, at the time, who I wanted to be. You know, that Brody character, yeah. how he talked, how he wore comic books on his sleeve, how he was more snotty than nerdy. That, I so wanted to be yeah. that character. Jason Lee, Jason Lee and that character. And Jason Lee in general for a few years there. Um I that was my introduction to him. I I, I loved his delivery, his his whole persona right. in this movie, uh, and a few of the subsequent other things he's done. Um, yeah, this was my little Jason Lee mm-hmm. intro, and I don't think he's gotten. You know, I mean, he was basically the same character in Chasing Amy. Maybe I can't quite remember. There are some differences there, but he's playing something that I a little more depth. Well, I think there, and then when we get to Chasing Amy, I think there's some differences. I think he's more of a main character in that yeah. than actually he is in this, even though he's one of the head characters. But you know, this is a, this is again a broader comedy. This is his attempt to make John Hughes movies or, or Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and again, I don't think it works because. You know, Clerks had that ramshackleness, if that's a word, and that was part of its charm. But, you know, watching Mallrats in, multiple times, and I've watched it multiple times, it starts to look a little amateurish. Like, there's there's mistakes in the movie, and there's there's staging that doesn't work. And, and you know, it's got its, it's, it looks really well lit. It's got its big pop soundtrack, and, you know, its big ensemble budget in this big mall, and... You know, it's not Shannon Clark- Doherty's. Shannon Doherty is in it, which is amazing. You know, but I just, in a way, it's a you know, it's a bigger film than Clerks, so I get that, and maybe he wasn't up to that pace. I feel like structurally, internally, this is more of a first film, you know, and then and maybe you would have matured into Clerks. It didn't go that way, but I just kind of feel like something about this is sophomoric. It's his second film. There's something about it childish. And I think that's fine. I think that maybe is the direction he's gone in later years. I still love this movie. I don't think I connected the way I connected with Clerks, but I do think I, you know, this movie sparked the notion that comic books are badass. You know, he, it just, I feel like this got comic books as pop culture into a conversation. And I think we owe the movie that. And again, I just... It's weird because these characters, they're not working. It's the other side of hanging out. They're wandering the mall. You know, him and his friend T.S., they're going out for a day. It's another movie that takes place in one day. It's another movie about friends talking with friends. And maybe because I was at college at that point, and I know I probably had a, a college you know, job. What do you call those jobs where they're helping pay for your tuition? What are those called? Work study or something like that? Uh, yeah, work so, study. Yeah. So I had that, but my life was more rambling at that point. So maybe that's why I connected with it. Have you gone back and watched Mallrats? Like, is that something you ever returned to? No, I have not returned to Mallrats oh. uh, since, since departing your company. Really? Yeah. And again, that might... That might be because of access. Again, it's not a movie I have. Um, so um, that might be it. It could be the type of thing where if I'm sitting here and suddenly I've, I see that it's on cable or something, I'll stay and watch it. But uh, it's no, it's not something I've sought out. I certainly loved watching it uh, time and again with you. We did. Did we watch um, it a lot? It was, we did kind of go back to it a lot. Huh? I feel like we did. We watched it. We, we went through a stage. I remember a lot at uh, the, the basement apartment. Yeah. Um, we 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 watch it there a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that and pizza. I remember watching pizza. Yes, like, 
Yeah, we would we would stare at pizza for hours. Are there characters in movies that you wanted to be at that age? Are there people or TV shows that you're like, I want to be? Because this Brody really was who I wanted to be. And I'm sure I copped stuff for him. But uh, were, was there anyone that spoke to you? Oh, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. And if I had a few more moments, I might be able to think of some. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm sure there are. I mean, I've, I've said this before, which is weird. When I was in high school, I wanted to be Harry from When Harry Met Sally. It's that's a very not weird, strange though. thing. I mean, but, but what's the mindset there? Because I think that's a good example because you're the, younger yeah, than I mean, him. But. Yeah, the mindset there was just to be, you know, uh, quick-witted, uh, just charming and and have, have this – even though he – he had a, a sense of confidence with other women, and then he wasn't confident with with the, the woman he ends up being with. There Sally, was something about I him. Is her name? I think. Yes, it's I think Sally. her name is Sally. Um, so yeah, like he just seemed to be what it, an adult man should be, um, even though he had his faults. I felt like everybody should have their faults. Mm-hmm. Um, his came with a sense of humor, and that's what I liked. And like, do you do this still? Like, do you relate? Do you think the pop culture characters, not the artists, but the characters still in this sense? Um, probably to an extent. Like who? Who would you think? But like I, what's I an example? I don't know that I've, I don't know that I've consciously thought about no? it. No? Um, do you ever want to relive some of these? Like, do you ever think like, oh, I wish I had more opportunity to be Harry? Or, or I always think of Chandler from Friends for You, which I don't think is a bad comparison. Yeah. But that's someone who, and I don't know if you were, but I always saw... A connection there or a similarity there oh no no yeah totally i i i've i've i i would uh especially with the women right. i would accentuate my chandler um tendencies because they dug it they liked it but there must have been yeah. something of you in that at the same time right oh sure yeah like i mean i definitely i mean that was his sense of humor the dry wit um was my sense of humor i think um, that I've been told that often. Um, I deliver a punchline with little feeling, and it makes it funnier, <laughs> um, I guess. I don't know. Um, Where's that rim shot button? But, but yeah. But do you do that now, do you think? <laughs> do, I mean, do you ever find yourself being like, that's a Chandler gesture, <sighs> or that's Harry-like? Or are there? do you hit an age where maybe that's just not something you do because you're not? I think I – think, for me, it's not necessarily the age, but I hit uh, a fatherhood, mm-hmm. and so I think there's there's characters that um, I didn't relate to before that maybe I relate to now from a fatherhood aspect. Like Darth Vader, do you really more um, to Darth Vader now? Really, I, I'm, it's it's really about Darth mm-hmm. Vader and really getting the, the girls on my yeah. side. Um, but no, it's like like Steve Martin in uh, Parenthood. Um, uh, not Parenthood because I haven't seen. Parenthood, oh, really? But Father of you the Bride. Just seen him in Parenthood. I haven't um, seen Father of the Bride. I I should see him in Parenthood, uh, but Father of the Bride. Because um, your daughters are getting married at ten. They're they're not. But man, it's so easy for me to um, project ahead and see where things will be. Oh my God! I uh, this is kind of unrelated, but I I cried at work. Ha- you know, kind of like sad happy tears. You want me to stop recording? Through, no, I'm just no, no, no. I read through a thing where it's like, oh, here are some beautiful things from humanity, which I really needed. And one of them was a father who um, found out he was terminally ill, and he arranged for flowers to be sent to his daughter um, every birthday until she was 21. And it just destroyed me. Um, and so that's that's those types of characters now... Um, yeah, so I'm still doing it. I mean, that's I guess not a to, character. Uh, Apparently, that really happened. <laughs> no, but the the long way to to answer your question is yes, I'm still doing it. I don't think that I'm I'm. So you want to be that you you want to be that character? You want to be a terminal father sending flowers to his daughter? That's something you want to be. I want to I want to be a, a a father that's thoughtful enough to do that. Well, shh, to to know that, that if I were in that situation, really, uh, it was just because it was recent. Um, that's not I a fun. Honestly, is that a fun I, persona to be? The dying father sending his flowers. Is that something you would want to embrace and be? No, I don't want to be the dying father, mm-hmm. but I do want to be the father that because the person who posted that was the daughter. I do want to be the father that, regardless of being alive or dead, connects that strongly with. Uh, but that's what you're getting it from this sadly uh, 
sad posting of mortality. That's... Unfortunately, I don't have um, my my schedule doesn't allow for me. Unfortunately, lately to watch a lot of pop culture and and to experience um, more of these characters. Like literally, every if I have a second to watch something, I go back and I watch, you know, old Friends episodes, old Office, old ER. Um, I haven't really experienced anything new recently. And so I think the reason I brought that up is just that's just something I happened to see this week. Huh. <laughs> so how pathetic well, is that? No, it's not pathetic. I, I think you explained, you know, you, you go back to stuff from before that because maybe that speaks to you. I, I guess what, because I'm wondering, it's like, you know, these Kevin Smith films spoke to me because I was that age. Prior to that, I was looking to Richard Lewis because he's, you know, this older guy, I want to be an adult. You're looking to Harry from when Harry Mitzell, the older guy, he wanted to be adult. Now that we're in our 40s, I mean, where is the age-appropriate entertainment, and do we want to watch that? Like, do you... You're talking about... And I think I may have cut you off, or this gentleman dying may have distracted us from it. Um, <laughs> Father of the Bride. You watch Father of the Bride. That's a... From the title, I'm assuming there's a dad in that. Is that the drawing point to that? Because there's, there's, he's playing a, a, a protective father, I assume, a comically protective father. Comically, yeah, comically protective, and I think that's that's still at the heart of 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 the characters that that I am drawn to and relate to, is that they are funny and they they have a sense of humor, um, and I haven't seen Father of the Bride in a long time. Um, that's just the the kind of connection I have with fatherhood now. It's like even though I'm not seeing it recently, and even though I don't have like new new characters to reference. The ones that I remember from my youth are the fathers. Now I'm kind of hmm. going back to that and, and thinking about them. Oh, so you, I never noticed father figures in the stuff I watched. And I, I really still don't, I don't think. I mean, there's some. There are some good fathers that I notice. Hmm. But it's always in the context of, a, of, of like an action movie, a science fiction movie. Like I don't... You know, I don't. I don't seek out. I guess Modern Family would be the one thing I do watch that, and I get touched by that. I guess you know, I do get and I get touched by the Goldbergs. I do get touched by these things, but I'm not relating to them. I guess, and I'm wondering what who are the forty somethings I relate to, and I don't think I'm going to that way. I don't know. Like I'll watch shows like Mark Maron's show Marin, or I used to watch Californication, you know, and I see these, and they're both older than I am, but as I'm getting there, these forty somethings struggling with it, like they're struggling with like a, a stunted childhood st- struggling with maturity issues struggling with being liked by other people and i think i t- i go to that like i go went to brody and Mallrats back in the 90s like that's now who i go to because they're funny because they're again better than everyone else because they're commenting on everyone else they're the center of these shows so they're pointing out the fallacies or problems with the world around them and because they're and this is that trope that is a bad trope in, in writing a bad trope in entertainment the the, the 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 jerk can't get his shit straight but we want him to like that's just that's how many times are we going to watch that honestly and I do and I identify sure. that because I must identify yeah. with something with that and that after a while it's like that's stunting my growth like I'm thinking I'll just fumble my way into maturity I'll fumble my way into owning a home I'll fumble my way into to, 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 to doing the right thing for comfort or, or, or not even for comfort because I don't want comfort, but just doing the right thing to keep living because that's what these people did. And it's heroic because they're the centerpiece of the show, similar to Brody or similar to, I think, the next film. Because I, I think if we get out of Mallrats and we get into the next movie, Chasing Amy, that's a movie. That's the Kevin Smith movie. And my relationship with that is so entwined in everything we're talking about. I mean, let me ask you, do you you've seen Chasing Amy, right? You've seen this movie? Yes, I have seen Chasing Amy. I've seen the Chasing Amy poster more than the movie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, that makes sense to a point. If it's on your wall, it's yes, just always there. It. Yeah. Did you did you um did you see it in the theater? Did you see what it came? I don't out? think I saw it in the theater. No. Um, really? I did you have an interest in Kevin Smith after Mallrats to see this? Um, yeah. No, I did. I was interested, but I can't recall seeing it in the theater. I was. I'd, what what year did it come out? Because I had some transition uh, 97. years. Ninety seven, nineteen ninety seven, right before our graduation, April April fourth, ninety seven. I think was right. the release date. And I was in L A. Uh, that semester, and I don't know that I was with the, a group of people that I, I when I I didn't have a car, I, and I didn't like driving in L A. at that time. So 
if a bunch of us were going to hang out, we would go with this guy or that guy that, that had the car and drove. And I don't remember them going to the, to see Chasing Amy. Then when I moved back to Boston, um, so it had been a couple years uh, after it came out. That's when I saw it, when I was living with you again. Oh, so the first time you saw this, you saw this with me. I believe so, yeah. How did I present it? Or did I present it or was it just something we randomly watched that night? I think it was probably something we randomly watched. I think you're good about not doing exactly what you talked about earlier and trying to sell a movie to somebody. <laughs> I think I think you were just aware of its quality and you knew me and you were like, let's just put this on and we'll all have a good time. Well, I want to tell you, I put that poster up to kind of... Psyche annoying say No, okay. Well that's I mean that's good because this is a movie I pushed on people in an obnoxious oh, way. Really? Not the biggest. The biggest movie I pushed on people was a movie called Kicking and Screaming. Not the Will Ferrell soccer movie, but the Noah Bombeck you movie. You pushed that on me. Okay, see I did. So okay, maybe this one I didn't. No, yeah. I I don't know, Chasing Amy, um for a while this was my favorite movie. You know, this was a mature Kevin Smith. This was art house. Kevin Smith, you know, this, and this was also though, I mean, it it was clerks with color film and it was clerks with a little bit more skill in that. It still isn't the most fancy looking movie, but it looked to me, it looked, this is what an independent film looked like. And it balanced his comic book, uh, minutia with actually, I think saying something and I don't know what it was saying might not have aged well. Or might be something different. Either way, I think it's important. I actually, before we recorded tonight, I started watching, rewatching this. It's on Stars right now. It's streaming on Stars, everyone. Um, so I started watching it again because I was curious. Because this is a movie. Plot of Chasing Amy is basically about a comic book artist who falls for this this woman who's who's in the movie presents as she's a lesbian. He falls for her. They become good friends. He tells her he's in love with her. She reciprocates. And then they have trouble maintaining this couple because her lifestyle as bisexual as it's presented in the movie is more than he can handle. And that's the plot of the movie. And at the time, it was groundbreaking for me. You know, we're four years at Boston. I'm living my life. I'm meeting all sorts of people. You know, the diversity of life that isn't just small town Connecticut. But this movie, you know, it's it's a male fantasy. This movie is, I think, your typical mm. sensitive male fantasy. It, it's again, it posits a film or posits a world where a guy falls for this girl, you know, and after two conversations, really, when we watch the movie, and due to an impassioned, lengthy monologue that he gives her with no space for a rebuttal, he basically convinces her to fall in love with him because he can't control it, you know. Alyssa, the focus of his crush, is, the, you know, this lesbian comic book artist. And that's the thing. It's, she's presented as lesbian comic book artist. That's important to the plot. And she serves to educate him in a more sensitive understanding of the world at large and open up his mind. And I think because she opens up his mind, I think that's why he falls for her, you know. And... The, the, I people. I was surprised when I heard that not everybody enjoyed this movie. I thought this was the most honest film in the world, and this is how relationships work, and this is the struggle of relationships. And look at this character. But a lot of people point out the fact that, well, no, this is how people manipulate people in their relationships. This is a story about a guy turning a gay woman straight, which it's not. I mean, I guess she's never been with a. Oh, she has been with a guy before. She is bisexual. I don't think it's stated that way in the movie, but that's what the character comes across as. It's manipulative. I can see why it wasn't embraced by everyone. But this film was, in a way, kind of my life. And that's not a good quality or trait. Hmm. (laughs) But it was reflected in the movie because this is kind of like I saw in this movie this thing that I had, which was it's hard to have a female friend when you're this lonely, you know, guy attracted to women thing, you know? And I think I connect, I think that part of the story I connected with, um, with the, with the Holden character. And I think also when I saw it, I think I just thought, what a progressive movie, you know, I'm, I'm in college four years. I now know how every lifestyle works. And I don't know for a fan base that likes dick and fart jokes, this is a very (laughs) progressive movie. And I think it showed some maturity in Kevin Smith, but, you know, it's still a male fantasy, and it still does that thing that people do when they don't 
when they want to write a diverse cast without doing their research. Alyssa, the, the character, Alyssa, Joey Lauren Adams, who plays her, gives a great performance, but her actual character lacks any flaws or any depth. She's likable as a tool. Yeah. You know, she's there to, to socially illuminate something. And I think a lot of the gay community did not care for the film because of that. Sure. And I don't know. I... I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this movie? What do you think of this movie? Well, I don't have a strong relationship with the movie. Um, I enjoyed it enough uh, when I saw it. I don't think I went back to it that often. I think really? if we were... Yeah, I don't think I did. And, and, and in fact, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, I saw that it was streaming and I, I did start it. And I couldn't, I couldn't really finish it. I didn't want to oh, continue. Really? Yeah, it didn't it didn't grab me, and it didn't remind me of of it being what uh, again, like you're saying, felt like more of a groundbreaking Kevin Smith movie, like his next, you know, he like he's elevated himself a bit. It didn't strike me as that. The dialogue, I didn't care for at, the, uh, at this second or third viewing, whichever it's been. Yeah, so I haven't seen this one a lot. It's not a uh, a movie that I have a huge memory of. Um, I, I do find a stark white giant head of uh, <laughs> Joey, Joey Lurie Lord. Adams to to be very beautiful, but the, the movie <laughs> itself um, I've I've not really connected to. Huh. See, I I thought I was going to have that experience because when this movie came out, I mean, I saw this like five times in the theater. I kept going back to this movie. I, as a Christmas present, I remember, because my mom was working at a high school, one of the gifts I got, they had rented the movie, copied it on a blank tape for me, so I had that, because I wanted this fucking movie. I loved this movie. I dissected this movie. I watched it all the time. I played it over in my head. I was writing my own version of it, I'm sure, ripping it off as a screenplay. And, you know, it's the thing is, like, I thought it was groundbreaking, you know? I thought it was showing something, and I think there's a struggle in it, and I, and I like that. But I also had not gone back to it in a long time. Like, I think I finally just stopped watching it in the early 2000s when I was starting to stray a little bit from Kevin Smith. So, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to watch it. I thought, we'll just talk about it. And Because looking at it, I'm like, I get it. It's, in a way, probably what I was relating to is that this movie reflected some of the more dickish aspects of my 20s. Like, in a way, the hero of this mm. movie, Holden McNeil, the, the, the Ben Affleck character, is the side of myself that I know I had at this point that was, you know, basically shouting, you know, I'm sensitive, you know, to the world, you know. I told you I love you, now yeah. love me, you know, that. Like, a trend of my life, you know, this film shows that, you know, shows that idea of this, the heroic 20-something who thinks he knows the world, and the world owes him for that, but... And this, I wasn't sure till I watched it tonight. Because when I watched, I didn't get all the way through to it because we had to record. But I was really touched by this movie going back to it tonight. From the very start, it took me right back to 22, 23, you know, which is the age I was when I got into it. Like, it just hit me right away. Only this time, it's like I, all the feelings were there. All the experience was there. But I realized, oh, okay, this is adolescence. This is an adolescent's crush. This is an adolescent understanding of love. This is a selfish, individually drawn view of relationships. And it can't, and I didn't finish it. I didn't get to the end of it tonight. But it's like, I related to it at that time because that's where I was at, you know? But I'm past, I've, I've not passed, but I've evolved from that, developed or experienced from that. And I don't know if it's intentional. I don't know if this movie means to show that flaw. I don't know if it, if we're supposed to think Holden is heroic, if we're supposed to think he's what I think he is now. I don't know. Mm. It, but it's a good representation of a bad character trait. And I, if I'm remembering right, it ends how it should end, which is with them not together. You know, and I, I, I like that. But watching yeah. it tonight, you know, yeah. the, the parts that I saw, what, 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 what hit me along with that is, and I kind of forget this, is that like Clerks, you know, and, and, and also like Mallrats, this has really got that best friend, buddy-buddy thing going to it. You know, the Jason Lee and Ben Affleck characters. You know, not Jay and Silent Bob, who we haven't talked about at all yet. I know they're right. funny characters, but I could care less about them at the moment. Holden and Banky in this movie, much like Dante and Randall, you know, they had that sort of friendship that, you know, threatens any third party that wants to come in. 
you know, with uh, Dante and Randall, it was sort right. of destructive because it kept people at bay, but it was still there. And they're still close friends with Holden and Banky. Banky is hurt the moment Holden expresses interest in someone else. And it's like, I totally get that. And the thing is, Kevin Smith <clears throat> also gets that, you know, he gets how simultaneously powerful and detrimental a friendship like that can be. And I think he knew that at the time. I think he knows the ups and downs of that. And I think this movie, more than the romance with Alyssa, I think if it's about Holden, if it's about Holden and Banky, I think it's very powerful because I think their dichotomy as friends is something that I've had until I finally got into the relationship I'm in now. I feel like I've always had that best friend who was hard for other people to get through. And I think Holden's experience of thinking he's more open-minded than he is and being thrown by that ultimately, I think those are good that is a self-awareness. I think Kevin Smith was writing himself, but also writing the male adolescent audience, writing to his male adolescent audience with this movie and saying, this is something that you are going to have to work through. This is your struggle. And it came to me at just the right time because I thought this movie was so heroic and so beautiful. And I find this happens with a lot of things from childhood and from my 20s. The movie itself when I get older, shifts. My interaction with it shifts, or my view of what it's saying shifts. But all the same emotions are there. All the same character and character beats are there. It's just my perception now of what that is is different. And this movie still holds that for mm. me, which is probably disappointing to a lot of people because, again, I don't think this movie has aged well. I don't hear it talked about a lot. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I think it aged beautifully, and I think it is what it needs to be, faults and all. You, you and, make me want to go back to it, Tim. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I was talking about earlier about my relationship with Clerks. I don't think I had had a relationship with a movie like this before. Hmm. Like, Chasing Amy was so, I thought, educational to me in how the world works. And what it really was, and I can see now, is it was educational to me in how I viewed the world at the time. And I'm glad that I've drifted from that, or, or again, I've not evolved, but I've just I've learned different things, similar to maybe what Holden was going through a bit. But I don't know; it's still a very male-driven story. Right. It's still a male fantasy story, and I do get that. But I think it's a beautiful-looking film. I do think it's still very funny, and I think it's very much of its time. And I don't mean just the '90s; I mean of that time of my life. They're a little older than I am in the movie, but not by much. So that twenty-something, I'm going to be all, all out. You know, again, it's like transferring from the countertop of a job to the tabletop of a bar, where you're just philosophizing about everything. Yeah. I miss that. I miss doing that. I think we used to do that when we were out. Sometimes for shows, sometimes for real, but we did it. We did. We did. I mean, do you do that now? Do you have circles of friends that you, you, you seek out and have conversations with now that are like that? Uh, no. No, I don't. I am um, sad and alone mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when I'm not with my family. Um, <laughs> so I really do not. I have lost all, of, all aspects of that part of mm -hmm. me. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a very cheerful man this evening. Well, in this conversation. but I mean, it's an honest thing in the sense. Uh, like, can you hold on to that after a while? Like, does this continue? Do people have the close, like, inseparable friendship and a marriage, and kids and a relationship? People seem to. Some people. Who? Seem I mean, not to. who by name, but how? Um, how does that work? Who has that? Um, I I I'm just referencing and and just what I see uh, from uh, from friends around me or not friends but people I know people I see uh, there are circles of friends some of which are from college some of which are my friends that are so much closer to each other than I am with any of them or anybody else um, and they've they've made that last and their parents now too uh, but they're still making it go I am I am outside of that. Okay. I mean, maybe. I, just, I, I guess I don't get how that happens. I mean, I, it's depressing to me that this sort of intimacy doesn't exist. Because that's what it was. These movies are, are about a certain friend intimacy. And, and I'm touched now, which was actively by your sentence earlier about how you think of these movies in conjunction to me. Because this, I'm, yeah, I think I based, not based, but I saw a lot of our friendship reflected in these movies in that sense. Obviously not exactly the same way. Yeah. I don't but we think. certainly played it up too, I think. You know, like you've been saying all along, it's like 
a lot of that is already inherent in us and our relationship. But then when we see uh, the epitome of it on, on in a movie or on screen, um, we play to that uh, to, to, to kind of, I think, bring out the what, what we might consider the best of us. Do we have time for dogma? No, we don't, which I think is okay. I know it's not his full body work. He often talked about his Jersey trilogy, and I think these three are, 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 are probably good because, honestly, and I'm glad he's okay. I hope he's okay. God, I hope nothing further happens to him in the, between recording and when this goes up. But Because the thing is, looking at the 90s, for me, and I'm going to ask you your own thoughts, Kevin Smith hit me at precisely the right time. More than anything else in my life, he hit at just the right time. And possibly no other time would have worked out. You know, I mean, entering college with no intention of being there or wanting to be there, you know, and wanting to make art without the know-how of how to make it. And just loving all of this pop culture as real culture, you know, and, and, and wanting to just talk about it and mouth off about it with my closest friends. I mean, these films, his stories, his productions, you know, reflected and inspired those, but also kind of assured those. Like he assured me that, no, you're an artist, even though it looks shoddy. Right. You're an artist, even though it's not wide sweeping. And you can use your little town, your little references, and you can make this happen. Clerks came at a time where I needed to feel something. You know, I was home for the summer at a, at a job I didn't want, and this made me remember, no, you're this at that job. Mallrats empowered me to talk about pop culture, and then Chasing Amy allowed me to pretend I was mature and in love and blah, blah, blah. But that cycle, that was the perfect time for it, for me. And I kept going back to them for years because they worked. And now, I don't know, you know, they don't work exactly the same now, but why should they? Right. And why? Why would they? They're 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 of a period of time. True. I mean, what 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 are like your closing thoughts on it? How how does was it difficult when when I said this is what we're going to talk about? How did your mind wrap around that? What were your thoughts there? Uh, well, it's like I said before. It's it's more about not uh, my connection to these movies, but my connection to you with these movies. Um, so mm-hmm. that that's where my my mind wrapped, and um, I think too, and we sort of talked about it. At the beginning, um, Kevin Smith became a pretty prominent character in my life through you, through these movies. Um, And because he was close to our age and doing the things that we wanted to do and kind of reflecting uh, people we know and people we wanted to be in his movies, um, I I connected to him. And that that era is is very much um, a, a great memory for me. And so when I saw... That he had a heart attack, mm-hmm. and that he—I think what he's one of the things he said in social media was that I could have died tonight. Um, and to, for me to suddenly think that that Kevin Smith may have been dead, this is like the first celebrity near-death thing that I've actually sort of really connected to. There have been others that I'm like, oh my god, that's a huge loss. You know, David Bowie's a huge loss, mm-hmm. Prince, huge loss. This near loss really surprised me uh, hmm. how affected I was by it. And I think it's because I enjoyed his movies and and my time with you with his movies so much and that was such a part of my youth. And to think that we're getting older and things are going away and things are in the past and to think that maybe suddenly Kevin Smith as a human being was almost not with us, it really kind of struck me that so much of my past is really no longer with me um, and will soon maybe even really physically not be with me. Yeah. And so that, 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 uh, when you said we were going to talk about this, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, let's, let's do that. Let's talk about our Kevin Smith connection and let's talk about our, our mortality a little bit. But I'm glad we didn't focus on the mortality too much. Well, Someday, because <laughs> it won't be here forever. Yeah. yeah no. I. Um, yeah. No. Because I don't. I don't ever think of about him anymore. Or I hadn't. Or if I did, it'd be like, well, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. think of these films. I would just think about, okay, you're on Twitter, blah blah blah. But yeah, that I was shooken by that too. And I, you know, I don't know him 
and I've never spoken to him. He's liked one tweet that I've tweeted. That was very nice of him. But um, not the one I tweeted to him when I tweeted about him. But uh, I don't know. I'm He impacted a six-year period of my life the way I would put him. You know, and I don't anymore, but I'm like, his impact is right up there with Paul Westerberg, Richard Lewis, you know, Steve Martin. These impacts, his impact. And so he's a human being. So, yeah, phew, he's still alive. I don't know how to process that because every, everything dies. But, yeah. Uh, well, that's I, I like what you said better. I don't know why I came in with that. Sorry. No, I'm good. I look forward to hearing our th- our end theme music now set to that that uh, uh, slightly morose ending. Yeah, because it's so it's so peppy. It's so peppy. <laughs> and if you like pep, if you like things that are upbeat, uh, I'm sure they're out there. But if you like this show, if you like listening to a couple of 43 year olds cringe at the mere thought of reality, check out 20popcast.com. It's the main website for the show. Latest uh, episode is always up there streaming, as well as links to all of our past episodes. Also has links so you can subscribe to it. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on multiple Android device um, aggregates, whatever they are. But yeah, if you like the show, please subscribe to it. You'll get a new episode every week. And if you happen to listen to us on something, say, like uh, about Apple Podcasts, if you could uh, go in and give us a little review. They let you mark off a certain number of stars. They let you write a little opinion piece on it, a review, as, as they call it. If you could do that for us, if you like the show, I guess if you don't like the show, that would be a big help. Egotistically, it's great great to know that people are listening and then in terms of getting the show noticed and heard by more people that helps us out too so if you could do that i would appreciate it you can always uh like the show on facebook you can follow me on twitter at subcultist you can follow me on twitter at rh canning and yeah if you're going to take the time to write a, a little blurb uh, i'd ask you to also just sort of reach out and join the conversation let us know your thoughts and memories of uh, Kevin Smith and his films, and uh, we'll we'll interact. We're right there. We're checking it out. So uh, please do let us know you're there. That was desperate. <laughs> on the website on Pop Talk. That was desperate, very desperate, or <laughs> desperate. Um, but thank you for listening. We'll be back uh, next week. I think the music's still playing. Um, Bob, why don't you? You didn't get to last week because you weren't here last week. It was just me, so yeah. no one listened to that. So why don't you close out the show this week? Because I've learned to keep the ending brief. All right, I got a new one for you, Tim. Ready? I'm ready. Squeak that chair. Oh, I hope oh, that sticks. Man, that's great. It's pretty you, great. Did you even try to squeak the chair? Oh no! I okay, because I should have <clears throat> no. Now I am. Now I'm just rocking back and forth. It's not. It's not squeaking. Uh, it's not squeaking. It, all right. Squeak that chair, everybody. <clears throat> I'm not sure when to stop recording because I'm wondering maybe <laughs> maybe the gold hasn't hit yet. No. Maybe the real comedy gold comes at the end of an hour and 23 minutes oh, of no, recording. Oh no, it's good. We're, we've already got it. We've got it locked in there. Somewhere. We got it locked in there. Okay, I'll I'll put it in the the timestamp so that people just want the gold. They can dig it up right there. Squeak that chair. Maybe they'll catch. Maybe that's our thing now. Squeak that chair. No. No, we'll, we'll, I'll try again next week. Maybe you did try. Maybe this is what trying sounds like. Oh, that would have been the best time. I couldn't get the squeak. I feel like that, if that had been the sound, that would have been perfect. That would have been perfect. <laughs>